I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor. And, uh, welcome to you this morning. We are starting a new series. Okay, it's a series called The Fine Print. And we have a graphic. If I turn this on, there we go. Um, it's called The Fine Print, what Christians sign up for. And I want to start by telling you a story of something that happened to me just, I think, about a week and a half ago. I was at the San Diego airport, and I was walking, I was going up the escalator heading for security. Okay, so I go up the escalator, and I begin to turn, kind of a U-turn to the right, going towards security, and a woman comes up to me, and she's dressed with the garb of TSA, you know, security-looking stuff, she looked official, and she said, sir, we have a new program that's going to get you through security much faster, and she begins to usher me, not in the direction of security, but in this other direction, and... I was thinking, well, gosh, like I know sometimes people get that like pre-screen deal where you get sort of the fast pass lane um, through the security, but it didn't feel like that because we weren't heading for security. Um, and so I was thinking like, what's going on here? You know? And so I said, uh, you know what? I don't think I'm interested. And she said, what do you mean, sir? No, no, no. We have a program that will get you through security. If you fly more than twice in a year, you know, this is going to actually speed up the process for you going in and going through security. And so I said, gosh, you know what? Like, I don't really understand why, but for some reason, I don't feel like I trust you. And I kind of surprised myself. I didn't know I was going to say that, but that's just kind of how I felt, and it came out. And she was, like, she was aghast. Her mouth dropped, and she goes, you don't trust me? Like, what are you talking about? And now I'm feeling really stupid because I'm like, who is this person anyways? And I said, gosh, I don't know. I feel like you're going to try to, I don't know, like sell me something or you're going to try to offer, you're going to make me sign up for some deal. And she goes, well, look, I just told, we have a program that will get you through security so much faster. And I said, well, I feel like it's going to cost me something or something. And she goes, well, of course it's going to cost you something. And I go, oh, wait a minute. This is it. This is the feeling that I had. Like, no, this is, no, thank you. I'm not interested. And so I go and walk over and go through security or stood in line to wait to go through security. Um, And I, you know, it was one of these situations where I felt like I was being, I was like the subject of the bait and switch. Right? I kind of felt it. She was really good at what she does because it was very subtle. Usually I can sniff it out, and in the second syllable I know what's coming, but this time it was just different. So she was really good at what she does, but I, just, I felt like I was baited and switched, or she was trying to do that, and then I kind of felt victorious when I was vindicated, and she really was trying to bait and switch me. And I bring up this story. Why? Well, because I think that sometimes for a lot of people, Church and Jesus can feel the same way. Um, I don't think the Bible actually has fine print. Well, actually, all of it's fine print, right? Because it's like four font. It's really tiny because they want to make them as small as they they can so you can carry them around. The Bible doesn't really have fine print, but I think sometimes Christians and sometimes the churches will hide certain truths that are in the Bible, okay? Sometimes churches will lead with the good news, um, but then certain things don't end up getting talked about, okay? And so, um, and, and there's different reasons why people do this, okay? There are some bad reasons. Um, there are some churches, frankly, that just, they just want your money, okay? They want you to, to be here. They want to count your numbers so they can have a giant church, and they want your money so they can do whatever they want to do with it. And so they're going to only tell you the things that you want to hear so that you'll be there, you'll be excited about the church, you'll give to the church, and they can use you. 
Um, but there are times when there are good motives for, again, not being 100% upfront about everything that's in the Bible the first day you show up. Okay, um, some people might kind of have this feeling like, well, look, I want you to learn that Jesus can be trusted before you hear some of the things that he thinks. Okay, um, other times uh, it's just that the Bible is a big book, you know, and so if you want to know about the Bible, I want to give you the most important truths first, right? And the question is, well, then, like, at what point do you get all the rest of the fine print, all the rest of the stuff that doesn't get talked about? And that's a question of wisdom. You know, but sometimes like, the Bible has a whole lot of things to say about a whole lot of things, and it can take a while to cover everything. And sometimes that's the reason why you might not hear everything, or you might have this feeling of being bait, baited and switched. Um, and, and what I think is interesting is that I think both Christians and non-Christians have this experience. Okay, so if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not alone in this. There are times when someone will become a Christian, they'll give their life to Jesus, and then they'll find out later, oh, wait a minute, hold on. Oh, Jesus thinks that about this issue? Oh, I had no idea. Um, Because so often there are parts of the Bible, there are parts of the message of Jesus that frankly, they they, they, they are so incredibly amazing and wonderful that you kind of have a feeling like this seems too good to be true. Right? Have you ever thought that? Have you ever felt that way? I mean, salvation is free. Like, everything is done. You tell me I don't have to earn God's love. I don't have to earn forgiveness. You're saying all of my sins are forgiven? Right? Past, present, and future sins? Like, all the sins I'm going to commit, those are already forgiven? Really? Really? Jesus did everything. He lived the life I should have lived. He died the death I deserved to die. So there's nothing left for me to do. Really, I just have to believe and receive. And you think, man, of course, yeah, I'm in. Sign me up for that. Right? Who wouldn't sign up for that? But then you're sitting in church and you hear a sermon that talks about something. Or you start reading the Bible and as you begin to, to read through it, you come across something. Or sometimes you have a Christian friend who starts having concerns about some of the things that you're doing in your life. And they begin to talk to you about the way that you're living. And you're thinking, wait a minute, hold, wait, wait, hold, hold on. I, I didn't know that this was part of what it means to be a Christian. Right? And suddenly you feel like you're now reading the fine print. Right, that's what I'm talking about here with the fine print. And it makes you wonder sometimes, am I really a Christian? In fact, wait, wait, do I even want to be a Christian if this is part of what it means to be a Christian? And again, I want to repeat that this happens both to newcomers and to people who have been around the church for a while. Okay, so if you're new to Jesus or if you're, just, if you're not a Christian, you're exploring Christianity, um, I'm so glad that you're here. And I want you to know that you're not alone if you've ever had this feeling. And it's this fine print that we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks. Okay, we're going to be looking at some of the more difficult things that people deal with when it comes to being a Christian. And I also want to say that the series is focused really on Christians because they're the ones who are committed to Jesus and they're the ones who have, they've signed up for, they're responsible to live by even the fine print. Okay? Um, and so if you're not a Christian... Um, you just you get to listen in on the conversation. In some ways, you get to read the fine print before you sign up, right? Um, and so, what we're going to see this first week, 
we're going to see the fine print of inconvenience. Okay? The fine print of inconvenience. And this is like a banner over a whole host of things that we're going to talk about today. And I want to tell you that part of the fine print is that Jesus is the God of inconvenience. Okay? If you want to follow Jesus, you need to realize that you are going to experience an enormous amount of inconvenience. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Jesus, in his call to you, oh man, is, his call is incredibly inconvenient. Let me just list off a few things. First, Sundays. Okay? Sundays. Maybe, maybe I'm preaching to the choir, right? Because you're already here. Um, but we ask you to be here at 10 a.m. on Sundays. And for a number of you, gosh, 10 a.m. is so early. Couldn't you do it at 10, couldn't you do it at 11 o'clock? Man, 10 o'clock is so inconvenient. We've got other people that say, oh, geez, 10 o'clock. Couldn't you go any earlier? Because you know what? If the service started at 9, then I'd be done by at least 10.30, and then I'd have my whole day in front of me. But like a 10 o'clock service sort of cuts into my Sunday. Man, I'm like, well, gosh, you're right. It's inconvenient to be here on a Sunday. And Jesus wants you here. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, don't forsake it when, the, when everyone comes together to worship. Um, so we have worship. But then we also ask you to volunteer. Right? There's a call to volunteer, to serve on Sunday mornings if you're physically able. Right? So you can help love and teach our kids up in the children's ministry. You can help set up the space before the service or you can help clean it up afterwards. Uh, you can help with the welcoming team that greets people as they come in. You can help with refreshments so that we have refreshments each week. Um, these are things that are inconvenient. Like instead of now getting here at 10, you're going to get here at, could be 9.30, could be 9 o'clock, could be 8.30, depending on what it is you're doing. It could mean that you come here and you come here because you like the service, but then you have to leave the service to go upstairs and take care of our kids or teach our kids. And so instead of you being about you and for you, now you're showing up for someone else. That's inconvenient. <clears throat> and then some of you just don't like being in a room full of people. Right? Once the service is over, you want to bolt. Okay? And others of you, um, you're not uncomfortable around, around people in general, but you're not really comfortable around these people. <laughs> right? That you come to church and think, man, I'm not like anybody else here. Gosh, am I the only single guy here? Am I the only gay person here? Am I, the only, am I the only doctor? Am I the only fast food worker? Like, I feel like I don't fit in. I don't relate to anyone. And you think, man, if Jesus is calling me to be a part of this church, I don't know if I have time or the desire. This is incredibly inconvenient. Okay? And so, again, we're just trying to be honest about the reality um, well, and then, so after Sundays, then we ask you to be part of a life group, okay? Because we think the Bible tells us in Acts 2, 42 to 47, that we need to be together sharing life together. We need to have time when we are helping each other grow spiritually, where we're supporting each other, where we are um, listening to each other, we're praying for each other, right? Where we're helping each other to know God better. Um, and you think, man, hold on, so Sundays, now you're asking me for a night of the week, Right, that I have to now devote to being part of this church. I don't know if I have the time or the energy for that. 
So again, we're talking about things that are inconvenient. Then, right, then we ask you to financially support the church. Okay, God says that we all need to give 10% of our income to the church. And you're thinking, what? Wait, 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 that's a lot of money. You're saying for every $1,000 of income that I make, I'm supposed to give $100 to the church? I mean, that's beyond inconvenient now. Right now, we're, we're talking about not just any, this sacrifice. That's, like, painful. Right? That's painful. And I don't have enough money to do what Jesus wants. And then, right after all of that, then there's this call to be nice to people. <laughs> right? There's a call to be kind, to be patient, to be forgiving. Right? There's a call to sacrifice. Because if you call yourself a Christian you got to be patient. you got to be judgmental. There's this life that you're supposed to live. And so what happens, you know, and the, and the, the sort of be nice thing, that, that applies to everything, right? It's not just here on Sunday. It's not just in a life group. But now it's good grief. Like it's at home at night with your roommates or your family. It's at the workplace with your boss and your coworkers. Right? I mean, we're talking about everything that we're dealing with. And so it ends up like this. What started out as a free gift, Right? Gosh, wasn't it just a couple minutes ago? This was a free gift. This was too good to be true. Then becomes an endless list of overwhelming inconveniences. Right? And this is kind of how it can feel. And all of a sudden, the fine print is not so fine. And you realize, oh, yeah, this, yeah, because if you told me all this before, you told me about Jesus? Like, I don't even know if I'd let you tell me about Jesus. <laughs> on the left-hand side, you've got to focus on how you become a Christian. Okay? This is a focus on how you begin a relationship with God. Okay? And it is a free gift. But then, as in all relationships, right, including your relationship with Jesus, it takes work because it's a relationship. Right? Every relationship that's worth anything takes work. And so the right side focuses on really the honest difficulty of living as a Christian. And this is why it, can be a, it feels like a bait and a switch. Okay? So the question that I have, as I was thinking about this, was why? Why is the Christian life so inconvenient? Why is it filled with what seems like an endless list of overwhelming inconveniences? Like, why would God do this? Right? It's not very good marketing. Like, wouldn't it be much better if we could just say, hey, become a Christian and your whole life works out? Become a Christian and you'll actually feel like you're always in the right place at the right time. You'll see circumstances just sort of like work themselves out right in front of you as you're walking forward. Your relationships, man, they're going to be easy. Your work situation is going to be easy. Right? God could do that. Why doesn't he? Why instead does he make it so inconvenient? I mean, it's so inconvenient that it's often not just inconvenient, but it's, it's painful. I mean, not just physically painful, like you worked out, now you feel good, but like emotionally draining and frustrating. Like, why is it that family and dating and marriage is so difficult? Why are friendships that are close to us often sometimes the most difficult that we have to deal with? I mean, it is painful. And as I thought about this, as I prayed about this, as I would like, try to seek the face of Jesus, like, why, Lord? Why is life this way? 
I feel like the answer is, like the reason why is because of love. The reason that Jesus is the God of inconvenience is because he is also the God of love. Every inconvenience has a purpose. Every single one of them. All of the inconveniences in your life are part of a plan, and that plan has everything to do with Jesus, and it has everything to do with love. So, love. Now, what is love? What is love? Think about it. How would you answer that question? Like, what is love? Is love finding a soulmate? Whether it be a friend or a romantic you know, partner, is it, is it unending romance? Would you find, define love as great sex? Um, good friends? Close companion? It's difficult because we use the word love to talk about so many different things, don't we? I mean, we love people and we love sports. We love how we feel after we exercise, and we love the sprinkles on chocolate frosted donuts, right? We use this same word love for everything. And it's, it was different in Jesus' day, okay? It's a little bit different, because in the Greek that was spoken during Jesus' day, there were several different words that are translated love into English. And so... Um, Greek had a different word for romantic love or sexual love. That was its own word. Um, Greek had a different word for brotherly love or the love of friendship. Um, and Jesus and his followers, however, they latched on to a different Greek word that was different from these other words because it meant so much more. And I think some of you um, have probably heard this word before, but many of you haven't. Um, and so I'm going to give it to you. It's the Greek word right there. It looks like the word a grape. But that's not what it is. It's, it's the Greek word agape. Okay, that's how you pronounce it. Agape. Everybody say agape. 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 Good. Okay. I want to give you a definition of agape. Okay. This is a kind of love that is different from the other kinds of love in Jesus' day. And it's different from the kind of love that we typically think about when we talk about love in our day. Okay, agape is a noun and a verb, and that's important. Um, first definition, it is a commitment to intentionally disadvantage yourself so that others might be advantaged. This is worth writing down. A commitment to intentionally disadvantage yourself so that others might be advantaged. Or put more simply, it's dedicated, sacrificial love. So, inconvenience is about love, isn't it? Isn't it? See the connection? I want us to look together at John chapter 15, verse 13. Um, It's in your bulletin, printed there at the top on the inside of the bulletin. I'm also putting the verses up here on the screen. And I just want us right now to look at the center verse, verse 13. Okay, John 15, verse 13. These are the words of Jesus. He says, greater love, that's the word agape, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So can you see how this verse, now in a new light, 
it, like, can you see this verse in a new light now that you know the definition of love? I mean, greater commitment to intentionally disadvantage yourself so that others might be advantaged has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus himself, he came. Jesus was God in heaven, and Jesus came to bring this love to earth. Okay, Jesus came to show the world a love that it had never known. The ultimate expression of love is the ultimate disadvantaging of Jesus so that we could receive the greatest advantage. And the rest of the story tells us that this isn't just like pious words. This isn't just Jesus saying the right thing at the right time. But Jesus in his life, he goes and he suffers physically. Right? Jesus experienced frustration and inconvenience throughout his entire life. Right? Dealing with the crowds, dealing with the religious leaders, dealing with the disciples who were closest to him. And it led him throughout his life to the point where he was betrayed, he was conspired against, he was tortured. Ultimately, it led him to death. And he suffered this. He willingly committed himself to this measure of disadvantage And he did this so that we might be advantaged. Jesus suffered physically, and then he suffered spiritually. God treated Jesus on the cross as though Jesus were guilty of our sins. Right? So Jesus suffered God's punishment for the sins that we committed. And he did this so that we might be advantaged. There is no greater love than this. And someone lay down his life for his friends. And are we advantaged? Like, are we advantaged? I mean, man, like, oh, how are we advantaged? I mean, think about this. Like, we are forgiven by God because of what Jesus has done. So that all of your sins, past, present, and even future, are forgiven and wiped clean. God now looks at you as though you are as perfect as Jesus. Man, talk about an advantage. We're accepted by God. We are welcomed. We're adopted into his family. God's word of affirmation is upon us. And even though we are both a mix of good and evil, even though there is stuff that is good and should be celebrated in us and stuff that is bad, God looks at the good, affirms that, and is working within us to cause that to grow. Man, the advantage. Jesus is committed intentionally to disadvantaging himself so that we might receive these blessings of his dedicated and sacrificial love. And by this, by this, Jesus brought a love into the world that is changing people. It's changing people. And that's what he wants. He wants this love to cover us and to cover our past, to cover our present, even to cover our future, because we're going to need it to do that. 
but he wants his love to fill us too. He wants his love to fill us. He wants his love to capture our hearts. I mean, look at the rest of the verses, right? Verse 13 is in the middle of verses 12 and 14. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment, that you commit to disadvantaging yourself so that others might be advantaged. Because I have committed myself to be disadvantaged so that you might be advantaged. Right? Greater love has no one than this than someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. And so Jesus brought this love into the world, and now he wants, he commands his followers to spread it. He who was committed to disadvantage himself so that we would be advantaged, now ask those who have been advantaged to follow him. Jesus asks you, he commands you, if you want to call yourself his friend, and this is the fine print, if you want to call yourself his friend, you need to commit to disadvantaging yourself so that others in your life can be advantaged. And I can tell you that when you do this, it changes everything. When you do, I mean, think about it. Think about what life would be like if hundreds of thousands of people who are willing to commit themselves to being disadvantaged so that others could be advantaged. What would San Diego be like if 100,000 people committed to this? Right, if 10% of the population committed to this kind of love, what would happen? And what would happen in your own home if you were committed to this? What would happen in the relationships in your family? What would happen in your marriage if you were committed to being disadvantaged so that your spouse could be advantaged? What would your dating relationships look like? If instead of being in it for me and in it to see about what I can get, if you were committed to trying to figure out, can I and am I willing to disadvantage myself for the rest of my life so that this person could be advantaged? What would your workplace look like? I was talking to a friend who's not a Christian um, and he made a comment about how he thinks that every, like, that eventually we're going we're gonna to destroy ourselves as a, as, a, as a race. That human beings are going to destroy ourselves on this planet and made the comment that cockroaches are going to live longer than we will. Um, they'll still be around after we, after, we, after we destroy ourselves, I think was his comment. And, uh, and I said, gosh, why do you think that? 
like, why do you think that the human race is going to destroy itself? And he was kind of like, oh, well, I was kind of joking, but um, <laughs> I hadn't thought about it. And he began to talk about the problems that we have in the world um, and just the abuse of power and the intolerance and the way that politics works and the way, I mean, just talking about all the things that all of us deal with, right? All the things that we suffer through, all the things that make us really sad about the human condition and the human race. Um, and, uh, and I said, gosh, you know what? Like, you know, there's people who think that human beings might actually figure it out and turn this thing around. And he goes, no, I didn't really think about that. Um, I've never thought about that. Um, and, and I said, you know, I don't know, 100% no. Like, I have a feeling about what the future is going to take or what, what the future is going to, um, to be like for the human race. But I said, you know, to me, like, what you've just said is why Jesus came into the world. I think everybody has stuff in them that is a reflection of good and that people would want to celebrate and stuff that's bad. And I said, there's this great quote by a guy named Alexander Solzhenitsyn who said that the line between good and evil doesn't run through political parties, so one side is right, the other side's wrong. It doesn't run through nation states, you know, political boundaries where some nations are right, other nations are wrong. He said the line between good and evil runs through the human heart. And all of us are broken. Um, and yet all of us have things that can be coaxed into things that would be really good for the world. And he goes, huh, I never thought about that. And I said, you know what? Jesus came because he wanted to take that part of our heart that still loves and that still cares. And he wants that part of who we are to shine. Jesus came to actually make it so that that line that runs through our hearts would get pushed over to the side so that more and more and more of who we are becomes good for the world. And he goes, wow, that's, that's actually compelling. And I said, yeah, and what's amazing is that the way that Jesus brought this about was by bringing a love from God that is exactly what I'm talking about. Like he had the perfect heart and he was willing to come in and to take on a world that was broken and messed up and brought its brokenness onto him and he was willing to take it and disadvantage himself so that we might be touched by his love. And I told him, when you realize that Jesus came not just as a good person or a good teacher, but when he came to show you his love and to show it to you personally, it changes everything. It changes everything. I said, you know what, my whole life now, like I didn't, but even before I became a pastor, my heart got gripped by this love and I thought I want to spend the rest of my life trying to glow that part of my heart as bright as I can and to try to follow him and be willing to sacrifice everything I possibly could so that others might get to see what Jesus' love is like in flesh and blood. And he just said, wow, like I've never had anybody tell me about Jesus like this before. This is what Jesus has done. This is why Jesus came. And he came to do this. And 
the reason that you're here if you're a Christian is that in some way you've kind of connected to this love. But I would tell you, if you're here and you're a Christian, all of us, we're just scratching the surface on the love of Jesus. There is so much more to the love of Christ. It's like we're standing at the ocean and we have a thimble full of all that Jesus has in store for us. I want to ask you then, if this is true, right? If this is what love is, if Jesus is the greatest expression of this love, can you see how this changes everything about your inconveniences? Do you see how our lives are filled with inconveniences because of love? If you say no, like, that's okay, because actually I'm going to spell it out. (laughs) That's a little bit of a stretch, so let me spell it out for you. Um, Here we go. I want you to write this down. Every inconvenience is an opportunity given to you by Jesus to bring his agape love into the world. This is why Jesus is the God of inconvenience. Because every inconvenience is an opportunity. It's an opportunity given to you by Jesus to bring his agape love into the world. Every inconvenience is an opportunity. Okay, so for you, when you are inconvenienced by someone or something, the first thing that I want you to do from now on for the rest of your life is I want you to say, oh, hey, this is an opportunity. Just start with that. Oh, hey, this is an opportunity. Someone interrupts you at work. Oh, hey, this is an opportunity. Someone interrupts you at home. Oh, hey, this is an opportunity. Somebody hurts your feelings. Oh, hey, this is an opportunity. Right? Things fall apart in your plan for the day. Oh, hey, this is an opportunity. Can you do that? Just call it an opportunity at first. That's just, that's it. It's an opportunity. It might help to say, oh, hey, there's an opportunity given to me by Jesus. Because then it kind of ratchets it up a little bit, right? Hey, this is an opportunity given to me by Jesus. Some of you are like, oh, crap, this is an opportunity given to me by Jesus. I don't want to do this. Right? It is inconvenient. Okay? Let me say something really loud and really clear. Um, gosh, I hope this is clear. Um, <laughs> it's getting muddled in my head as I think about it. Um, we think that following Jesus means that our life should work out and that everything should be easy. That's a lie. Yes. It's a lie. Yes. Following Jesus doesn't mean that the inconveniences are going to go away. Following Jesus means that the inconveniences are going to increase in your life. Okay? Jesus loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And that plan includes you daily experiencing inconveniences. Why? Because every inconvenience is an opportunity given to you by Jesus to show his agape love in the world. What's the problem with the world? Well, Jesus would say the problem with the world is that my love isn't in enough of it. And so guess what? 
I need you and you and you and you. I'm calling you to bring my love where it's not. And so every inconvenience is an opportunity for you, given by Jesus, to bring his agape love, his willingness to disadvantage yourself so that others might be advantaged in a place where it's not. And this is why we experience inconvenience. The week that's coming is full of inconveniences. The afternoon that awaits. I know you got plans, right? There's plans for lunch, plans for the afternoon, plans for the evening. Guess what? Your afternoon is filled with opportunities for you, given by Jesus, to bring his agape love into the world. This will change everything for you. This will change your relationships. This will change you in dating. It'll change you in marriage. It'll change your friendships. Right? Because let's just talk about relationships for a minute. It could be dating. It could be marriage. It could be parenting. It could be work relationships. You burn up all of your energy to try to get the person that you're being inconvenienced by to see things your way. Right? There's a conflict, there's an inconvenience, somebody hurts you, and you spend all your energy trying to get them to see things your way. Right? It's natural. It's natural. But what does love do? Love will disadvantage yourself for the advantage of others. And so maybe instead of trying to get them to see it the way that you see it, you should give your energy to try to understand why they see it the way they see it. Right? What a wonderful expression of love. I mean, that's an act of love. That's a very practical act of love to figure out why do they see it the way they see it. And guess what? You might, by chance, learn that, hey, they might see this differently because they might be seeing something that you need to see. but you can't unless you decide to love. You can't if you don't respond to the inconvenience with love. This love will give you the opportunity to see things through more than your two eyes. It may give you four eyes through which to see the situation. Other people, when in conflict, they're not, they're not, you shouldn't see them as someone to be won over with an argument. But what if love taught you to see them as a partner to help you see the world in a more fully orbed way? I mean, that's the benefit of love. There's a moment of transformation that happens there, and now your capacity to see the world goes up. And so, just coming back to where we started with some of the inconveniences, um, man, Sundays. Like, think about Sundays here, and I know there's hundreds of examples that we can go to. I gave you relationships. I'm going to bring it back here to church stuff. Um, Sunday is an opportunity for you to remember Jesus and to celebrate him. Man, where else in life are you going to get reminded about this? Where else in your life are you going to be 
pushed to doing the things that you know you need to do, which is to commit to disadvantaging yourself so that others might be advantaged. We need to remember these things together, and we need to celebrate them. We need to worship the Jesus who did this for us. We need to remember that even our efforts to do this, we're not saved because of those efforts. We're saved before we make those efforts, right? And so worship on Sunday becomes an opportunity to to remember and then to celebrate the good news that Jesus is changing the world and he's using us. And then service, right? If you come on a Sunday, we want all of you to serve in some way. Upstairs with the kids, set up, clean up, whatever, on Sundays to serve because then you actually get to put this love into practice, When you volunteer to serve, guess what you're doing? You are committing to disadvantage yourself so that others could be advantaged. Right? So you get to feel and experience what it's like to be Jesus. Life group. Man. Life group is is, is is a group that is full of inconveniences. Great source of inconvenience for your life. And you think about relationships and people and problems and gosh, like, what does this mean? And I feel like we need to talk after, outside a group. I need to pray for you. I need to be, right? It's an incredible inconvenience. But there's an even more incredible opportunity to love in a life group. Friends, this is why 1 Corinthians 13 describes love in these ways. And I want you to read this. Uh, this week, could read it this afternoon. I mean, take some time to look over the way that the Bible describes this kind of agape love. And I just want, again, I want you to, to just to remind yourself like that this is what life is about. This is why Jesus came. This is why it says that God is love in the Bible. It's because God wants all of us to be committing ourselves to disadvantage so that others would be advantaged. This is how Jesus is going to renew the world. And I think that the more of us who grab hold of this and are committed to it, the more we will see San Diego renewed. It starts with us and then our homes and our workplaces, our neighborhoods. And it's us as a church doing this together. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess that we are sorry. Um, We've complained so much about inconveniences and the frustrations of life, and now we see it.